acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. My name is Craig Ferguson. The name of this podcast is Joy. I talk to interesting people about what brings them happiness. Dr. Robert J. Serfolio. We'll call him Surf because that's what he wants. And once you know about this guy, you'll think, you know what? Give him everything he wants. He's an amazing character. Listen to this. Surf, before we begin, I, I, I do want to say one thing to you, which is I want to apologize because you came in and you recorded an episode of this and then we checked it back and it was, we didn't record it. It's like, it's the podcast equivalent of like you doing an operation. And leaving saying, the cancer le- in. Le- well, leaving the, at least leaving the key, your <laughs> keys or something in there, or, or maybe your wallet or your phone. Like we got the cancer out, everything's good, but I left my phone there, so we got to go back. It's so funny. Uh-huh. You know, I get this a lot from women that I go on dates. They say they accidentally left something back, so they have to come back. And uh-huh. it's a user kind of... <laughs> You now listen. Here's the thing, though. You're single. Well, are you single? You're not really single now. You're, no, you, you got no, a girlfriend. Just, yes, and, I do. Yeah, that's why that was a joke. Yeah, let <laughs> <laughs> me make that very. Yeah, clear I get record. it. Totally understand. Yeah, it's fine. So listen, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit because I was just saying to you, I I got a screening coming up for uh, yeah. an endoscopy coming up in about a week, and it's only because they found a little irritation during the last one. So they gave me some PPIs to to treat it. They found Barrett's. Barrett's. No, no, it wasn't Barrett's. Oh, Barrett's. It was it was uh, it was a, a lesion, an ulcerated lesion or something Displasia. like that. Dysplasia. Dysplasia. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So listen, I I know that you're, we're not really on on your dime here, but. Is that good or bad, dysplasia? No, it's just it's, a thing. Could be, could be, absolutely. And much better than some other things they oh, could Oh, sure. Well, they did a biopsy. They didn't find anything right. like that. But what they like, might do now is, I don't know if you're going to have an ultrasound done at the same time in multiple quadrant biopsies. Sometimes they do that to get more representative tissue. So oh, they, yeah. They might do that. I don't know. Yeah, I, you're going to be chilled down on propofol. You don't I, care I'm what gonna be, I'm going to be taking the big sleepy time <laughs> nap, which, I, which we've established. I love too much. Yes, well. Yeah, I love too much. And that's why... You know, I would take an endoscopy once or twice a week if I could, <laughs> just just for the propofol. So listen, tell me this. Yeah. You you are, and we established this before, but you are 
to my understanding, the number one robotic surgery guy in the U.S., right? Yeah, so that that's just not a measurable metric, right, nor is okay. it really, you know, it's like saying I'm, I mean, I've done a lot of robotic thoracic surgery, but there right. are, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lung surgeon, a thoracic surgeon, so I do lung. So that's what lungs, thoracic, esophagus, lungs? Esophagus. Okay. And thymus, anything in the chest that's really not heart-related, although we, we can take out parts of the heart, but we're, you know, even though we're, we're boarded as cardiothoracic surgeons, right. we choose to do thoracic, which is the lung the esophagus, the mediastinum, thymus, stuff like that. So is that specialism or is that a union it's thing? A, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> like, We're going all out on strike tomorrow, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Now that you bring that up, we're going to join the, the writers. The, right, the writers else. are back I and know. the actors are still yes, out. But, you know, I think as long as the doctors stay in, I'll, yeah, I'll be all right. Exactly. So talk me through what a robotic surgery is, because yeah. it's not you... Uh, just programming a robot and the robot no. was in. Well, so tell me what it is. It's so interesting. Even the patient I operated on today who came from very far away and is super educated, when he came in, he looked at the robot. He said, now you, you're doing it, right? Not that big machine. I'm like, listen, bro, we've talked all, you've looked at the videos, you've looked at everything, doesn't even make sense. But yeah, so what the robot does is we're able, instead of making big incisions and spreading the ribs, we're right. making incisions that are a third of an inch, eight millimeters. Wow. We'll make three of these. The old robot actually had five millimeter ports. We were making five millimeter incisions, not eight, which I think actually had a real benefit. This new one, I would hope that they're going to miniaturize it a little bit. So you put in these metal ports through these tiny incisions in the chest, and right. then through the port come a series of different instruments. Right. And then they get hooked up to the robot, this great big giant monstrosity. It looks like it's over the patient. Right. Does it have a face on it or anything? It, it does. He asked me if I name my robot. I'm like, listen, bro, we don't name the robot. That's <laughs> okay. not something we do. But then we sit in a console remotely. Now, you know, I've operated in, I think, 26 countries. In one country, I was a mile away from the patient, which would never happen in the United States, could never wow, fly. It was right, in China. Right. But they wanted a big room of people. They had 800 people there, and they wanted me to ask, answer questions as I was operating. And was they, that a teaching situation? Yes, yeah, when right. I go on, these things are always, you know, for charity and teaching, and, and I'm honored to do it. I love to do it. So, but, so it's like a corporate gig for a comedian then? It's like, hey, I'm very happy to be in China. I'm going to do a little bit of thoracic here for you. I love you guys. A little bit. Of stuff. I think they get paid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We don't. They pay for our flight, but that's, that's about it. it. That's it. Yeah. See, yeah. you know, I knew I, being a doctor was not the way to go financially. You made a good decision. <laughs> when, you, when you nailed the MCATs, you made I, a good decision. I, I tell you, I did not make the decision. <laughs> if I had made the decision, it would be yeah. something else. I was dealing with the cards I was dealt. So, yeah. You go in there and you, so you work remotely in the sense that, is it like a video game or something? Yeah, so we are sitting in a console that has an immersive experience. So it's a 3D, we put our head into a console like this and there's all ergonomics. You have your own chair, but then there's a giant machine with two hands here, multiple pedals for your left foot, your right foot. There are like six options. It looks complicated, but it's actually very, I mean, I'm doing it. So how hard can it be? No, come no, on honestly, now. You're tossing yourself down. No, I'm, I'm giving it to you straight. Right, it's, not, okay. it look, it's like an airplane. It looks super complicated, but you know. Once you, you get to know it. Exactly. Yeah. And so you move your left foot and right foot. And in the right chest, you're going to have two left hands. So you can toggle your foot and make your left hand the one here or the one behind it and assist yourself. So you like you have four hands? You have three hands and a camera. So you're driving right. your own camera, which is a big advantage over laparoscopy or video-assisted thoroscopy or arthroscopy, which is where they put a scope in the joint and you have to hold it. Here, it's hooked up to a robot. And as I move my hands and feet, the camera moves where I want to go. Gigantic advancement because when I did these cases with someone driving the camera, I'm like, listen, could you bring the camera? No, I don't want to look there. Move it over. You know, it's a constant dialogue. If you have great assistance, they know where you want to look. Right. But no one knows where you want to look more than me. 
So with the robot, I drive the camera. The robot is a slave to my hands. If I don't move my hands, the robot sits still. Right. If I don't move my feet, the robot doesn't move the so camera. So it doesn't go, this patient is it doesn't the do, audience. It doesn't, no, doesn't right, do anything okay, like right, that. Okay. At some point, we will get to where parts of the operation, I think we'll say to the robot, here's the artery, here's the vein, here's the bronchus. Robot, get around the artery. Because at some point, it's going to be better than us. I, I firmly believe that, despite what my colleagues say it. So that's a, in, it's like the, the benefits of AI, right? That, correct. I was in Italy a couple days ago lecturing on this, and the people in the audience, again, were like, you know, Surf, you're, you're pushing this. You're going to get us out of a job. I'm like, I'm giving, it's about getting patients better care. It's surf, you're a, crazy. We know, we know like you. They did say cra yeah. you're crazy. You're a crazy. <laughs> you're <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. You make the robot. It's, it's, it's bad news. <laughs> well, you wanted the robot. <laughs> but, um, so anyway. let me, so, so, but the tactile approach, you as, yeah. a, as a surgeon, now, presumably, I would imagine, that as you're training and going through building up, becoming a surgeon, right? You, it's a very tactile thing. You're in there with the sounds and the smells. It and the, is. It, you are so boy. You are. You're pretty sharp. You're a pretty smart guy. How'd you uh, know that? Uh, yeah, I used to be a doctor <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, before yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not a doctor, but I did a yoga class in L.A., <laughs> so which makes works. you a doctor. It does in, it LA. Does in L.A. Yeah, yeah not right. about New York City. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> so. Do you lose anything with that? Such a great question. And and again, I hate to go back to experiences, but today I have a, and I'm very honored because they don't come to see me. They come to see NYU and the NYU team. So I have a, uh, a doctor from Brazil and two from England who were there today. And the case we did is a metasectomy. I won't detect it, but it means there's little tiny spots in the lung that are very small. Right. That both surgeons said where they are, they would make a big incision, spread their ribs, put their fingers in and feel. I'm like, yeah, you could do it. That's how I did I've done 18,900 operations. Right. That's how I did my first 10,000. Now, we can't do that. So with the robot, although you can't feel, you can still take your instrument and rub it over the lung, and you can see a little tiny nodule, four millimeter nodule, like a pop, pop out on the top of the surface, or even five to six millimeters under the surface. So we've come up with ways so to you, do this. But you would have to be a surgeon who's experienced the tactile. You've been through that to, so to feel that. So. You don't think so? I think that's a fallacy. I think to okay. say, hey, you got to open up and do a whole bunch of opens or go to a lab now and operate on animals and do opens. I don't think so. I think we've gotten so good with simulation and teaching that we can teach the non-experienced palpator What's that? tactile. So uh, young surgeons who have not opened, because we do everything right. robotically, everything, 100%, me and my partners. We don't ever open. That's why people come from all over the world. And our conversion rate has been essentially zero the last four or five years. Does that cut down on post-op infection as well? Well, it's not, well, we don't get a lot of infections, but the pain. So I'm about to write a paper. I've operated on 106 surgeons. Right. They've all been back in the OR within seven to 10 days. So your recovery, because you have tiny little nicks. Right. That's it. And then, you know, we, we have, now we have to make the one incision bigger because we put the tumor, which is in a lung in a bag, and then we're like pulling the bag. I got my foot on the guy's chest trying to pull the bag out. Really? Well, because you want to make the incision as small as you can. So you it's kind of like, yeah, pulls it out. Like, yeah, it oh really my is. God. And that's, it does make that sound. Does it really? Something like that. That's yeah. horrifying and awesome at the same yeah, time. Yeah, no, it's cool. Now listen, because I think about this, because I've, I've met a couple of surgeons in my life. You seem very like this to me. They're kind of, they're jocks. You know, mm -hmm. you guys are, you're competitive, you're sporty, yep. you're kind of, you know, I've met male and female surgeons similar. and they're, they're very similar. There's that real kind of sport mentality. 100%. I played baseball in college and all three of my boys were captain of their high school baseball teams and they went on to college and played D1 baseball. Yeah. Well, are you boys all in medicine? No. 
Well, they were a little too smart. They thought I work too hard, and they are right. doing things that are maybe a little bit better for society. I don't know. But but, but that that kind of driven your father was a doctor. He was, right? yeah. Very was your good. father very sporty and very? He was. He played baseball in college as well. What kind of doctor? What kind of, was he? A surgeon? Your father? He was a surgeon, a urologist. Oh yeah. man, no, yeah. man, plenty of them. I'm sixty-one years old. Yeah. I mean, it's like I'm sixty-one too. Right. Well, you know then. Yes. Now you know as a as a doctor, you're probably a terrible patient, right? I really am. I had surgery uh, about nine days ago, right before I flew to Italy. Nine days ago? Yeah, and I was back in the OR two days later. Can I ask you what it was? It was, yeah, because I've done so much surgery. It's a very common for surgeons. We look down. I had advancing arthritis in my cervical vertebral oh, wow. bodies, and so they just plucked a little bit of the bone out with a little incision, took a little of the disc out. And my, I had a little numbness in my finger, which is scary when you're a surgeon. Like, sure, I, I kind of need that puppy. I may not yeah. be good, but it's valuable to me. Sure, it's like a concert pianist or yeah. something. Yeah. You need that. 100%. Right. right. Is it demystified for you then, surgery? Because like, a lot of people's surgery is like, this is a very big deal. I'm very frightened. I'm very it's, upset. doesn't make you, sense. You're like, nah, I'll go in. I'll get it done. I'll be out. It's an, Yeah, because I... I Obviously, I know the people who are really good. They do did a minimally invasive incision in my neck, and I literally was in my office. Now, he told me to take a week off. I was in my, I finished the operation at one. I saw a patient in my office at five, and then I was back in the operating room Monday, and I flew to Italy the next day. See, that's, see, that's just, you're not listening to your doctor, sir. Well, so not problem. 100%, yeah. but you asked if we're good patients. I was giving an example to support oh, your just how bad a patient you are. <laughs> I, I just think this, my surgeon was so good that did I didn't have to recover. Did you ever get when you were training? Right at the start, when you're looking at, you know, all the different disasters that can go wrong with a yes. human body. Yeah. Did you get them all? Did you become a hypochondriac as you were <laughs> no, studying? No, I never. See, I would have. I, I, like, even talking to you, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I hope I don't catch some. I hope he's not got anything on his hand. <laughs> I don't think operate. so. I did wash my hands. Yeah, no, I know you do. Right? And I washed your card for you, too, by the way, bro. <laughs> so you're good. <laughs> but... You know, that's something that I think is maybe something about the mindset. Because yeah. Yeah. if you're a jockey, you're sporty, you're a competitive personality, yeah. I think that probably helps going it, in, right? Because it it's does. you against the, the disease, right? It is. It is. And, but uh, so, you know, now as someone who has an MBA and was of, uh, an executive VP and COO of a healthcare system and a leader, those are some of the bad things about surgeons. And it has to do with our training. So think that's about interesting. Why yeah, is that because, bad? Well, because in college, you have to be in the top 1%. So you're kind of hoping a little bit of people around you don't do well. That's terrible as a leader. Right. And then as you're in medical school, you got to be AOA in the top 2% to get a surgical residency. And then to become a cardiothoracic surgeon, which is one of the hardest besides neurosurgery or ortho. So again, you you sort of take resources and can become, I, I always say you can kind of sometimes tell who's going to be the surgeon, who's going to be an internist by looking at people play in the playground at six or seven. And That's really interesting. But I think if you're going to lead, it's just the opposite. You have to give all the resources to everybody else. You have to be humble and listen and to be able to make fast, quick, definitive decisions, which you have to do in the OR when someone's coding is exactly the what, wrong uh, Explain to me what that is, coding. So patient is dying. Oh, so okay. I, we come in, you know, when you're a surgical resident, you get called all, once a day, twice a day to a floor and a patient is coding and dying. You have to come in immediately, take charge, you tell everybody to shut up. You say, do this, start epinephrine, we're going to do CPR, and you're barking out orders. Right. So that's a great leadership style for that particular moment. Do you kind of, do you kind of get a rush out of that? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Anyone who says you don't, you just, well, if the patient does well. If it, yeah, if the patient <laughs> if lives, it does, of it's course, humble. yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you, because that that's that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, is the emotional impact of what yeah. you're doing. Because you're facing literally death right. as as your profession. You you face death. It's what you do. Correct. And 
and you try and head it off at the pass? Or, or is there a point where it's too much where you can't take it? It may be because how my father uh, treated me, how he trained me. Well, how did he I train saw you? It. Well, so he, I think he made us really tough. His dad was an immigrant from Italy who came over, was a yeah. farmer, second grade education, the concept of hard work. And I do think in, in resilience and toughness. And, and I love when people say the kids don't have it. The kids have that of today, course they too. Do. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're gonna, and they're going to be better doctors, better fathers and husbands and daughters and wives and granddaughters and grandsons than we are. They're sure. going to be. Sure. No they're, get, they're definitely getting better. Yeah. No and doubt about it. And they're going to be more resilient. But, it's, but it's our job as older people to say, kids are yeah. terrible. There Things were go. better when I was a kid. But they weren't. You and I both know it. They weren't better. They Correct. were awful. I, I, but I heard that today from the, one of our visitors from England. And I, and I said, listen, I'm gonna, I politely disagree with you. These doctors are going to get better outcomes than us because mm. each generation gets better. And they may not have the same experience because we spent 120 hours in the hospital now a, a week. Now they can only do 80 hours a week. And right. it's tough to get good at anything with 80 hours a week. But it would just Tell be... My, I'm trying to get my boy to learn to play the guitar. 20 minutes a day is bad enough. 20. <laughs> he's 12. It'll get well, better. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, if he's no committed bad. to it, he'll do it. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there's you know your 10,000-hour rules. It takes time. So they may have a little delayed gratification, but... They're more balanced. They're better in their roles at home. And at the end of the day, that may make them a better doctor and a better leader that has a different leadership style besides authoritative. They're more now affiliative. Now this, the leadership thing is interesting to me yeah. because you go back to your dad. Your dad was clearly an alpha and yes. a leader. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you clearly have that too. It's like Unfortunately. A, a leader. You, I mean, you've written books about yeah. how to you know succeed and how to do your best and how to get the best out of things. Correct. And super results or super achieving. Super performing. Super yeah, performing. Was, was right? yeah. Thank you for plugging about it. Well, yeah. it's Look, it's my job. Yeah, it's just like, you know, I make the incision, I do a little work. And But here's the thing. It seems to me that it is such a competitive environment that is draw competitive personalities are so drawn to it that at the at the core of it, I wonder if there is if there is a point whenever you lose, because you're going to lose. We would get humbled. I tell every resident yeah. who thinks they're so good, the good Lord is going to humble you yeah. at some point. So just be quiet. Just, you know, if we're doing well, go home and just look in the mirror and don't don't look at your navel. Don't navel gaze too much <laughs> because bad outcomes are coming. So I totally agree with you. And then, you know, as a leader of a department or a division where you may have 20 of those guys and then a COO of a healthcare system where we had 6,000 doctors mm. and maybe I think 1,000 or surgeons, you have to manage those egos like a manager in a dugout with all these superstars and tell them really it's about the team. And What work did you do on your own ego for that? Because if you're a young man, you you need a little bit of that kind of... Uh, you know, I'm the I'm the cat's pajamas. You're right. You know? You're right. So, and I've shared this with you before, but you know, my wife, who I was married with 21 years, mm. got cancer, and then she got a chemotherapy for this breast cancer that was, should have been cured, and that chemo caused the leukemia. So I felt incredibly guilty and humble about that because I participated in the decision to give her the chemo. And then for six months, I would operate every day. We had people come from all over the world because we could take their tumors out because we were so good. Yeah. And I got humbled because I would round. The last person I rounded on was my wife. I sent my team home and I would spend the night there and sleep. And I took my kids were in high school and one was at Yale in college. And I'm like, you guys are on your own. And I became so humbled. I watched her die. I could do nothing for her, but hold her hand and watch Jeopardy. That's a, that's that humbles a you fast. Cataclysmic yeah. result. And yeah. the, the, the irony 
on top of the on top of the immense emotional pain of yep. watching some the one the woman you love Correct. die of Correct. what you fight against all the time. Correct. Very humbling. So that yeah. was a that was a humility check, and I, I don't think I was. Could you that could bad you work before. at that point? I yeah, mean, I was. I operated uh, the the day she passed away. I operated, and then. That was on really on a Friday, and then we had to actually. She had a, a terrible brain bleed. We had to end up together. I flew my kids all in. My son had just pitched at Harvard that day. They flew in Saturday, and she was declared brain dead. We pulled the ventilator off on Sunday, which was terrible. And I had people from China coming in to watch surgery. I didn't do uh, didn't operate Monday or Tuesday, but Wednesday I went back and operated eight cases on Wednesday. Do, and, do you and, think that helped? So you know, people criticize me for no, this, but, no, but I think I, it's you know, no, no one, everyone has lost, everyone sure. has, and everyone mourns in their own way. Mm. My sister's a psychiatrist and said, you know, we didn't do it right. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. It helped me because I got immersed in my work and my world, literally, my world stopped spinning. I, I don't know how else. If that's how I felt, I remember that night going. Uh, it's a terrible story. I'm no, tell no, you're bringing, no, all, I'm bringing everybody down. No, no, <laughs> right. no, no. But it's a, it's, I'm, it's I'm a story. Yeah, yeah, it's the so it's the. And she hadn't even passed away yet. It was it was Saturday, because that night I spent in the hospital. So I knew in the next day we were going to be pulling the pulling the plug because it was well, every neurosurgeon said she's not recoverable. Right. And uh, so I came home and said I'm not going to sleep in the hospital. Nothing's going to happen. And I sat under her clothes, and the smell of the clothes, man, just set me off. And I just was like sobbing. And no one had really seen me cry because right, you don't want to cry in front of people. It's ridiculous. Sure. But that was that night. I just remember. Saying it was like a surreal thing. Like, is this really happening? Our family, everyone kind of called us like, you know, we had this magic aura that my kids all did well and my wife was beautiful. And yeah. I mean, I, I'm not beautiful like she is, but we had all, you You're know, beautiful it was a camel. Anyways, sir, you, yeah, 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 yeah. They called us like a little Camelot. And it's very funny, the humility. No Camelot when your wife gets a chemotherapy induced cancer called leukemia. And then all the chemo in the world couldn't help her. And then she has a massive brain bleed. And, you know, she was the love of my life and their kids, my three boys who I drove and drove, lost their mom. And so they're all dealing with that. Now it's 10 years and we still talk about it. Yeah, of course you yeah. will. And you'll always talk about it. Right. I, I feel like it, sometimes, whenever I've experienced loss, I mean, everyone experiences it in their life. I feel like it's kind of like a scar, maybe even from an operation. It's like, it's never, the scar's never going to go away. I've got a scar in my hand from where I punched a window when I was drunk, when I was 21 years old. I left a, a big scar. But now you can hardly see it. And when I look at it, I kind of half smile because I go, geez, what an asshole. But you remember, it reminds you. It reminds me. And it is an evolution. So I've used the same analogy. Right. I, I call it a wound instead of a scar. And so sure. the wound goes through different layers of healing. There's five mm -hmm. layers. But it's never fully healed, and it's obviously much better now than it was ten years ago. Right, but it's but it's changed you. It changes how you are. You know how you can make your summer vacation better is with Cozy Elf's luxurious bedding and loungewear. It's like being at home, but also going away. It's great, and now you can get thirty five percent off. You can get the unmatched softness. It's really as buttery smoothness of Cozy Earth's bedding. It's better than the finest hotels, and you get a really good night's sleep on your travels. And that's important. It's travel-friendly. It's hassle-free. Cozy Earth's bedding comes in adorable totes, making it the perfect companion for your adventures near and far. You can stay cool and comfy during long flights, and you know what that's like, with the Cozy Earth 
temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew. Makes you look cool when you're traveling. I like it. Well, as cool as I can look when I'm traveling. So discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code JOY at checkout and you'll get 35% off. And let them know we sent you after the checkout. Promo code JOY. J-O-Y. JOY. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, everybody has stuff that stresses them out and annoys them, and I'm no different from anybody else. For example, I get very irritated that people that wear shoes that look like feet. That's not a big deal, but it's a, it's a big deal to me. Obviously, there are much more important things to get worried about. Get them off your chest. When you keep them bottled up, it starts to affect you negatively. Now, therapy is a safe place to do that. That's what I did. And you figure out what's going on with you, work it through, and then let it go. Let it go, you see, that's what, I, that's what I think. I've done a lot of therapy, and I have to say I'm a very satisfied customer. If you think I'm kind of tense now, you should have seen me before I started. I'm actually, I really do recommend it. If you can do it, you should do it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I'd suggest giving better help a try. It's entirely online, it's designed to be convenient, it's flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get you matched with, you know, a licensed therapist, a proper one, and then you can switch your therapist at any time for no additional charge. I just think it's a good idea. Give it a shot. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash joypod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash joypod. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your experience with your wife, does that change you as a doctor when yeah. you're when you're dealing with someone who's looking at a, a, a tough diagnosis or, a, or, a, or a bad outcome? I share it all the time. And it's funny, it's made me a much more, I think, empath. I, I think I was empathetic before, but it's made me much more empathetic when I say to the patient, oh, go home, you're going to get three cycles of chemo. We call it neoadjuvant, and then we're going to resect you robotically. Now I know what they're living through at home. Right. It's made me much more sympathetic, much more understanding. And then it's an instant connection about a week ago, I had a patient say, well, you don't know what I said. Well, actually, I do. My wife and I went through it, and we, and we she lost her battle to cancer. So right. you're going to do... People, that really connects you. So the battle is a word that I've heard before with yep. cancer, and it is something which I find the idea kind of terrifying because I hate getting into fights. I've lost yeah. a lot of them. <laughs> and, and so when they say, you know, I'm having a, 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 a fight or a battle, yeah. I, I feel like... I would hate to hear that. I would hear, like, I'm not prepared. I don't know. This thing is big. I, well, you are prepared, though. I mean, I think yeah. everything you've been through in your life has prepared you, and your experience has prepared you, and your 
value system, your culture, and you have a beautiful family to support you. There's some people don't have any of that. And even they find some resilience in ways to and get what, through. And how does that manifest itself? So that if you're in a battle, is it about a positive attitude? Is it about changing the way you live? Is it about a spiritual thing? Is it about finding a church or a, or a belief system? What is it? It's a great question. I think it's a combination of all those things. And all I right. think it's an, it's an individual journey. It's like your own journey to find happiness. It's your journey through a leadership. And it's your journey how you go through grieving, as I explained to my sister, or sure. through adversity. And I think all of us have our own way. So... It's not my job to adjudicate if it's right or wrong. It's my job to support that patient. And I give every patient my cell phone. I've done this for a long time, but it it paid dividends. Never really drove my wife too crazy, though it's gotten a little bit crazy now because people in New York use it more than when I was in Alabama. Yeah, well, cell but, phones are, are it's much more <laughs> a thing now as well. Like, correct. Uh, like correct. back in the day, there was yeah. a, a big box in your car, and you, you, could, you leave your right. car, you're on your own. I yeah, mean, but now that it's was, everywhere. That's when I was in medical student. Yeah. I mean, we had cell phones in Alabama. They have running water and all that. No, Alabama. you're kidding me. In Alabama? <laughs> Just in the last few years. Okay. Yeah, it's very progressive. Now. But <laughs> it's, it's, that's a good hospital down there. Fact, you were, University yeah. of Alabama is fantastic. Yeah. Incredible people, great doctors, and a great culture at UAB. Yeah, I was I've always had a good time down there. I yeah, like it. Yeah, I like it down yeah. there. So, so listen, you you have this situation where you've dealt with it personally. Yep. You deal with it professionally. Mm-hmm. You you know the 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 ultimate reality for all of us. You look at that all the time. So I gotta ask: Is there a a religious or spiritual side to you? Is there something that because clearly, if you're if you're giving someone a diagnosis and it's hurting you emotionally, you need to have a place to go, don't you? So it's very interesting. So I I will tell you how I share my own belief is dramatically different in New York than it was in Alabama. So I do personally have a deep faith in something superior to what there is. I do think there's some life after this. I do think, and my kids call me crazy because I'm so evidence-based and so metricized in everything I do, but I do believe that my wife can see me now. I do believe she sees every little thing I do. I do believe my dad and my girlfriend and everyone can, and my kids can see everything I do. I firmly believe that. Now, maybe that's a mechanism to keep me straight. I don't know. But I think I'm going to see her after this. So I share that a lot what, now. What are you going to say to her about your girlfriend? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say, well, listen, honey. <laughs> no, I think she'll understand. Me, you know, I mean, it's been 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know what? I think I think if it's moving on from the physical realm, I think yeah. I think you're okay. I you hope know? you're right. Yeah, no, I think it'll be all right. Well, I mean, and anyway. Sure. I'm you know, a little worried about yeah, it, actually. You know, I, understand i i feel like she could light me up so but, i don't well, know you know i i you know i just don't know and that's yeah. a family affair and you guys will deal with it but the time comes but for the record craig said affair just want yeah. that for the record because there was no affair and no no affair, we were just right? good friends no no so let me so let me ask you this then you 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 have a situation where uh, you're a younger surgeon right yes. yeah you're, and you lose your first patient terrible. You remember that? Oh my God, yes. I remember the patient like it was yesterday. I remember her name, her husband's name. She had three children. I remember Jesus, it all. Jesus, terrible story. Yeah, isn't that funny? Because I've done, you know, 19,000 operations and the only ones you remember are the ones that don't do well. And that's true of every surgeon. That's not true of me. That's true of almost every surgeon I know. We lament our failures and rarely toast our successes. And that's I don't know why. very interesting because yeah. it... I think that maybe you expect to win. Oh, my God. Sure, we're all, I don't want to say, uh, 
egocentric, but we're all very well trained. Well, that's we, good. I want I not, want a guy you, like that you operating do. on me. I don't want a guy who thinks, well, I hope I don't want. I don't know. I'm scared. I'm like, right. I'm going to fucking fix this. Exactly I'm going right. to fucking fix this. So what I say is when I step between that line, no one is better than me. We have a line of the red line when you get in the OR. And the second I step out of that, I'm going home. I'm taking out the garbage. I'm, you know, no different than anybody else. And actually, it's a big chapter in my book. It's called... Uh, staying in the zone. And the zone means, yeah, I want you to be confident, have a big ego, but the second you walk out of the operating room, you know, no different than anybody else. You know, you're going to go home and get yelled at. <laughs> uh, you're going to walk the dog or whatever it is. You're just the person. But one of the reasons why I, I enjoy talking to you is that, and I'm fascinated by the fact that you have such a sense of joy, a, a joie de vivre, a, yeah. a life force you know, and yet you deal with pretty much the hardest thing that people are dealing with, which yeah, is lung cancer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a real. I mean, lung cancer. I mean, it's not what it was thirty years no, ago. Dramatically, yeah. Right? And, and I want to give a shout out to the oncologist because really, the oncologist sees the patient with stage four or stage three advanced cancer, and more of their patients pass away. It's one of the reasons I went into surgery. I probably, is that true? probably because wasn't secure enough in my own skill and my own that I didn't want to deal with nihilism. I didn't want to deal with bad outcomes. I wanted to feel great about myself and look in the mirror and say, boy, you cured that guy. So I picked surgery because it fit more to my personality of always trying to win. I like that. No, no yeah. that that comes from, I'm guessing that comes from your dad, right? That was a, you and a your dad. A little bit. Because he, he got you into like your, fir your first surgical procedure was... It, with your father, right? Yeah, Wasn't you, it? You remember that? Yeah, yes, I remember. My, but our dog in the basement, it's its freaking kooky. It was the Co dog in the basement, and right? It's kooky. Who would, who would do that? So my dad had done a year or two of research on animals. Wait, let's be, he was a surgeon anyway, right? Yeah, yeah he was right, a right, surgeon, right. but who says, I don't want the vet doing my dog's <laughs> hysterectomy. I'm better than him. Now, granted, he operates there every day. But when I think about it now, you know, I was 11 years old. I'm, I'm not much smarter now, but a little bit. But he did his own anesthetic. We made a, we made a board with little Velcros. We, we did it in the basement. He cut it out. He made the whole thing. He brought home an endotracheal tube. He brought home the anesthetic. Who the hell was managing the airway uh, and giving the dog the anesthetic while we were doing the hysterectomy? He did. The dog did, the dog lived eight years after that. It was like he said, that dog was more important than any of you kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but it's crazy to operate in your own dog in your basement. But but I was assisting him, and I said, this is the coolest thing in the world. I have to be able to learn how to do. This. Now that's it's yeah. fascinating because you you get beloved family pet. Yeah, you know, you knock out this lovely dog beagle. She, Spot the beagle. This, this little beagle. This, <laughs> yeah. and she's going to have the hysterectomy and. Suddenly, you're seeing the insides of... And see my father navigate the moguls and the ureter and all these other anatomy, which I really didn't know what it was. And the dog was pregnant. So there were little tiny puppies oh, in the uterus no. at the time. And that actually upset me a little bit. I mean, yeah. and, my, and my mom was like, you shouldn't have had him down there. I'm like, because you saw these things were... They looked like little tiny puppies. Right. They were, you know, maybe an inch. But it was there was like six of them or five or six of them. In her uterus at the time. And that's, you had to clean all of that out because of Sure, it. yeah. He took yeah, the yeah. uterus out and oh. they all expired. But he he very quickly covered that up. You know, that was a surprise. Oh, so he didn't know that until no, he was no, in there. No, no, we didn't know. He didn't Does do that... a, a pre-op pregnancy test like we do with our like female you do now, patients yeah, now. Yeah. Like, you do that with me just yeah, in case. Yeah, well, but... If you're pregnant, I'm very worried. Well, that, that's a different operation. <laughs> but, but what, is there ever, does that happen with a frequency that you... 
go in because you're not going to get that same if you're going to like go in the keyhole robotic surgery yeah. you're not creating that landscape and going hey there's a tumor over here I didn't even see that thing well I know but you can pull back I call it stadium view you pull your camera back and you look all around and every time we enter the chest for a cancer we look at what's called the pleura the diaphragm the lining of the heart the pericardium make sure there's no metastatic disease so we could pull the camera back even though uh -huh. it's 10 times 3D right. you can pull back and get a global view of the That's whole chest crazy yeah. and then you then you get so zoomed in, I like tell you, I had to tell the resident, pull back a little, let's pull back. Because uh, you know, she was trying to find a nodule in the lung, which I thought was pretty obvious. And it wasn't until she could pull back, say, oh, there it is. She was too zoomed in. This wow. could happen, yeah. So you go in there and you find something that you weren't expecting. Get. Yeah. Do you make the decision on the spot? Look, get it out. You no, know, I'm not going to talk to anybody. Get it out. So I'll tell you what I do. I, I could show you my phone, but I talk to the patient's family because when you're on a robot, you're not sterile. You're sitting in oh, a console. Right. And when they bring a new instrument in or something's happening, I have maybe a 20-second delay, I'll text them and say, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that, everything's going well, he's asleep, we've painted the skin, the instruments are in, we've just taken the lymph nodes. If I sign something abnormal now, what I do is I will call the doctor's oncologist and I will call the family member. And I have them often participate. So now, you can get a next to Ken to say, yeah, can, go ahead. Yeah. I'll say, listen, here's what I think we should do. They usually say, what do you recommend? But I've had some people say, no, I don't want, I want you to stop. And I said, well, we're probably, we want you to, and that's fine. But it allows them to participate in the conversation. And then now you can even use the oncologist and give them information. Just last week, I had a very unusual finding of giant lymph nodes or a metastatic because this patient came from another country. The scan was only three weeks old, maybe it wasn't perfect quality. Lymph nodes had cancer and that flipped us out. So I called the oncologist and said, here's what I would do, what do you want me to do? He said, yeah, I want you to stop and we'll give chemo. And I involved the uh, family member, the, the right. patient's family member was a doctor, so it made it easier. Chemo, it must be a kind of a mixed bag a little bit, given your own experience. Yeah. Because, you know, Obviously, your your late wife's story with the chemo. I mean, caused her cancer, right? And then caused her to bleed into her brain because she had thrombocytopenia, low platelets, and bled. So the chemo caused her cancer, her leukemia, and then caused her to die. And yet, I tell I tell every patient this about this is my own bias, but we recommend chemo all the time to people adjuvantly, and and adjuvantly means after surgery and neoadjuvantly before surgery. My mother, my late mother, about twenty years ago got actually no more 30 years ago she got non-hodgkin's lymphoma mm -hmm. and she had been receiving experimental treatment for arthritis because she had very bad arthritis that can make that take off yeah. like wildfire so yeah. she had non-hodgkin's lymphoma she was getting some weird gold treatment i don't know what yeah. it was for yeah. arthritis I, I remember. yeah and she had a very compromised immune system yeah. and they started giving her chemo so at a certain point, we're in the, the intensive care unit mm -hmm. and the doctor who was a lovely woman came up and said, look, uh, the outcome here is not going to be good. Yeah. And I think that you guys should say goodbye. Uh, How old were you at the time? I was 30. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's bad. But it's here's terrible. the thing. Because this is an important I'm so, part. I'm of the, sorry you went through that. No, but that that is really tough. I'm sorry you went through that. But here's uh, the end of the story is very different because yeah. they say it's time to say goodbye. And I'm like, okay, so we all say goodbye. And my mother's not brain. Her brain isn't gone. Right? They're just the sort of look. 
there's nothing. You know, this is going to be bad. When we take the breathing tube out, it's going to be bad. They take the breathing tube out. She lived another 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a twist, right? Yeah. 15 uh, years. 15 years. She recovered I because they stopped the I hope the you chemo. beat the hell out of that well, see, <laughs> well, see, what it was, was uh, it, I think they never really quite understood what they did. But in, yeah. in a socialized medicine environment, there's not, people are not suing each other. People are not, you know, so. It's better. It's better. Than is it? I don't know. I, I, it's got, there's good and bad so, everywhere. So, yeah. I, I would say maybe they stopped her immunocompromising gold therapy that allowed her immune system to kick in because most people yeah. don't have that many problems with not Hodgkin's lymphoma. They're, right, no, so she, yeah, that's right. It was when the, when the chemo started, that's yeah. when it got really yeah, bad. Yeah, stopped the chemo yeah. and stopped her arthritic medicine, which immunocompromised her right. and allowed her own immune system to check Right, she never really Hodgkin. had full mobility again because of the arthritis, because yeah. they couldn't treat That's it. That's tough. But she was mentally with it. She was mentally fine. She got around in a wheelchair. She did. She did what she did. She got to watch your career. She got to watch my career. She got to see her grandkids be born. I mean, she yeah, she saw that. that. You can't know, beat that. No, it was it was it was good. But I think that <laughs> the thing that terrifies me about it is, I think there comes a point in life when you realize doctors are human. Oh my God! Yes, uh, I, see, uh, I, I could have told you that with the second I walked in the door and tripped on the uh, yeah, but, <laughs> the carpet. But you, but you've known that for a while. Yes. I mean, for a lot of us, and particularly, yeah. I think my parents' generation, maybe your parents' generation too. Yeah, the doctor knew everything, and the doctor was going to make it all okay. I'm very proud to be in a profession that still has the highest respect from the public, you know, doctors, and I yeah. and I think it's I do think it's well earned. Having said that. You know, we're knuckleheads and we make mistakes all the time I and we're human. And, and I think that keeps our ego in check. And, and it's that desire to get better, which is so ingrained in me. Every day I kind of wake up, what are we going to do today that's better than tomorrow? We're always innovating and getting better. And I think most physicians, most people out of the way, but especially physicians, we really want to learn from our colleagues and get better. Notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So in the extremely advanced technological world that you're in now, where you're looking at a situation where you can get to, is there a future where you say, well, it looks like we have some cancer here, so I'll put in an E43 program, slide them in the door, and it should be fine. So when you mean slide them in the door? Well, you, you know, put them in the machine, and you go inside, yeah. and the little robot does all the work for you, and you just... So I, I do, but I'm the exception to that, and I think the reason, and this came up a little bit in Italy, I mean, I, I just seen what's happened in my lifetime, and there's no question that artificial intelligence and robotics is going to give our patients better care. And the doctor should not worry about protecting their trade. What we should do is wake up every day and say, how can the patient get better experience and a better care? And, you know, NYU has really done that. I, I mean, NYU Langone Hospital with Dr. Grossman and all the other people there. Have, we wake up every day. How can we give the patient better quality and better experience? And I think we use AI all the time. So it's going to do that. At yeah. some point, they will slide into a machine. But I don't know if it'll be surgical. I think it'll be more molecular. They'll be able to rearrange that. You think? It's not just, pre- it may be prevention. It may be very early detection right. of tumors and then just changing that cell's physiology, preventing it from populating and spreading and metastasizing. That, what, that's my hope. What are the cancers right now, you think? We're just not getting anywhere with this. It's well, just like a, so, you know, cancer is such a diverse thing. Look at lung cancer. It's such a seven, big, a big yeah, thing. Seven it's a big types. subject, isn't like, it? Uh, someone asked me, I was doing the, this this show. They said, we're going to cure cancer. I'm like, hang on, hang on a minute, man. <laughs> you want to, I'll talk about adenocarcinoma of the yeah. lung. You want to talk about squamous cell carcinoid, small cell. What do you want to talk about? It's like, it's like saying, when will we cure illness? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. It doesn't right. even make sense. So right. I, I think all, you know, and there's there's new cancers coming and there's some that are going away. So, right. I mean, I think all together, if you look at the results of what we've done in the improved survival of lung cancer, mm. of breast cancer, sure. of colon cancer, mm. and, you know, th- and prostate cancer, those are the most common right. cancers. Now, lung cancer takes the life of more Americans than the other next three combined, colon, prostate, and true? breast. Lung no cancer idea. takes more Americans than Still? those three combined. It's finally coming down, but that was still true a few years ago. What is that, smoking? Like 25% of the women I operate on never touched a cigarette, and 15% of men never touch a cigarette. It's, uh, it has to do with genetics and the may- maybe pollution, maybe environmental, I don't know. Wow. But that number's growing in malignancy and non-smokers. So what do you do in your own little tabernacle like your body yeah. How no, did, no tabernacle yeah, yeah. So, so i'm a you know i'm a certified personal trainer i work are out, you I, really yeah i lifted weights i'm a big believer in that the guy <laughs> told me i couldn't do lift, you sleep man but i'm eight days post-op so i lifted a little bit today. i hope my neurosurgeon's not listening 
It was only 20 pounds, bro, don't worry. <laughs> no, I, I sleep like everybody else, and uh, I'm, we're very efficient, and so I'm very I'm very rigorous like most surgeons, like like I'm sure you are. Most successful people are rigorous, and they fit time in, so no, I, I love I, to work out. I, 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 I love the feeling of having worked out. Yes. <laughs> I, I, th- I feel like having worked out is one of the greatest feelings in the world, yes. but... Before working out, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I think the key is to remember, I always tell my kids, put this feeling in a bottle, and then you just sprinkle it over your head, because if you come home from work and sit in the couch, you are dead meat. It's over. So you got to sprinkle that little bottle. How does it feel? Let's go. Don't even get comfortable, and that's what that's what really. We do. Yeah. So you you'll come out of a surgery a long day, and you'll do. How long would you do at the gym or then? Uh, yeah, so an hour and twelve minutes. Oh my god! 15 minutes. Well, you do, to do a, it under, like a little program on your phone, do. and you do all the little little lifts, I, and I beep, do. and then do it again, and yeah, I lift three days a week, and then yeah. do cardio, and then you know I told you I'm in this singles pickleball thing. Now I've gotten really into that. I got to let my neck heal up from this operation, but in another week or two, I'm back playing golf and pickleball. What would you say, like, if you were standing in front of a bunch of people, say we go to a Danny's in Alabama, <laughs> right? And we, we go to a Danny's in Alabama, and everybody's in there, and everybody's having the stuff, and we all decide, look, we want to talk to Seraph about how yeah. we can avoid cancers. Yeah, what learned, would be the first thing yeah. you would say to a, just a random group of people? Yeah. Not surgeons, not personal trainers. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would do is keep my mouth shut. because my well, problem no, you've been asked. You've been asked. Right, right. So it comes down to one of two things, right? It's either you stop smoking or you stop drinking or you lose weight. Those three, I said two, but those three things would predominate. I'd have to pick one. In China, I'd say stop smoking. I was just there 50%. In Italy, I was there a few days ago, 40%. Everywhere. There were People doctors, still smoking in Italy? There were doctors, cardiothoracic surgeons coming out of the damn meeting at the break, smoking outside. That's crazy to me. It's absurdity. Yeah. I'm like, how can you be a leader? But, so I, I might put smoking, although I don't know now, it might be out, it might be drinking, it might be obesity, although with Ozempic, that is going to change the landscape. Talk to me about Ozempic. Now, is that, yeah. is that like, because people are taking it for, you know, chronic obesity, and that's, I mean, I got okay. people taking it just for the hell of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, t- yeah. I think that's what I might be asking you. Yeah. <laughs> so, listen, the professorial answer is we don't have long-term follow-up. We don't, right. but the reality is I know two or three people have been on it for two, three years, and they have lost 15, 20 pounds. They love it. They... Now, those people, I think they inject themselves. I don't think they don't take it by mouth. I think they inject it. The patient told me she injects it subcutaneously, maybe once every two weeks or maybe once a week. And it's expensive, but somehow she gets it because they're, they're, they're rich. But she loves it and has had no problems and with it. That's the majority of most patients. What does it do, by the way? So it, it's a gluc- glucogen inhibitor, but the reality is it will reduce your level of glucose and maybe lets food stay more in your GI tract and cause constipation. It slows down your GI tract. You're absorbing less. If food. I want to slow down my GI tract, I'm taking fucking heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get something enjoyable. I, I take so you know it, it makes you constipated and you don't even feel the base. No, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> don't share that with your anesthesiologist yeah, okay. just before your uh, endoscopy next week. I'm just Might saying leave that out. Yeah, you know it's funny. Like I, I'm you know very free with the fact I know that I have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been sober for 31 years, which and, is incredible. Thank you. And I and it is an interesting thing because sobriety, I feel like, is largely misunderstood by your profession. I think you're right. You I, give everybody perseverance and yeah, credit, and you a, have a different view. 
I do a little bit in the sense that, you know, people say, you know, why, well, why can't you just stop? And you go, well, if I could just stop, it wouldn't be a problem, would it? Of course. And then the whole idea of it having a spiritual component. Now, I think with you, sir, if I don't <laughs> think that's a problem, you are a spiritual human being. I am. You happen to be, you know, a doctor, a surgeon, a very good one, but you're a spiritual human being. I and am. I think for a lot of your colleagues, that feels a little, you know, airy-fairy and it, a little strange. It, it does. And I don't share it with them, and they're going to hear it now. But I don't wear that on my sleeve or discuss it, because it's not really admissible in what we do. We're evidence-based. We're a meritocracy, and it's not there. Then let me give you some evidence. Okay, great. Until I dealt with the spiritual nature of the... It's physical and mental, no doubt. Yep. But until I embraced the spiritual nature of the malady I had... I couldn't stop drinking. That's interesting. That's the evidence of it. It is. And, and, I, and I know a lot of people with similar experiences. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, you know, well, it, I mean, obviously it's anecdotal because it's one guy, but, but I think at the same time, I find it fascinating. Did you ever look at uh, Carl Jung's work at all? Uh, I can't imagine it would enter your world much. No. But it's just that Jung, a, a very, you know, one of the founding fathers of your, your sister's profession, mm -hmm. It was very much, you know, about religion, yeah. religious symbols, religious yeah. symbolism, and, and I think was very involved at the beginning of what is now, I guess, the sobriety movement. Yes. But at, the, at the beginning of AA, he right. was very, you know, he was very connected to, yeah. to all of that. And I wonder if, if there is a time coming when someone who's as accomplished you and you in the field comes out yeah. and says, look, we got to look at we got to look at the God thing here. Yeah. Well, and I have seen things that you cannot explain. We've Tell seen tumors. Me. Oh, my goodness. We've seen tumors regress, spontaneous regression of melanomas and lung cancers. And there's a, there's a thing called an escopal effect that I can give you all the medical explanations. But some of these things you just can't explain. And I just don't think we're that smart. I have great humility and know there's, there are things and powers much smarter and more important than me that I don't fully understand that have influence in our world. But I think that's interesting to me. And I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to push it on you, but I think it's partially, and, it, and it's why I'm so taken with you and your story is about your humility. Because I don't think humility is, I don't know. Yeah. I think humility is, I understand where I am in the universe. Right. I know where I am. Right. You and, know, and, and really how incredibly small that I am. And, right. And I've gotten to so many, I've been invited to so many places to operate and to teach. And I always learn a little bit more than I teach. I don't really always <laughs> say that because they're inviting me. But there's always something to learn. Every culture doing something better than us. Like, uh, for instance, the first time I went to Italy, I went to operate. I got there at 7 a.m. I go in the, and... I go in there, and there's a guy going, hey, what, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And he's smoking a cigarette. There's oxygen tanks. I'm oh, like, my God. I'm like, he goes, well, who are you? And I said, I'm the visiting professor. He goes, they won't be here for two hours. <laughs> so it's two okay. Two hours. <laughs> they didn't start in the hour until 9 o'clock. And so everyone criticizes them. But you know what? Maybe they're happier that way. Maybe they don't mind working from 9 to 4 or 5 and being inefficient because that would drive, it drives me crazy. Is stress carcinogenic? Uh, I think, oh, unequivocally, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I wonder if, if that's a thing that, you know, if you look at the idea, the idea that, that someone in your position would say, there are things that we can't explain. Right. I think that that is beautiful. I think it's beautiful that you will say, well, I, I like AI. I'm thinking if it makes yeah. people better, why not? You know, yeah. it's kind of interesting. But do you ever, like, say you're in Italy, right? Mm -hmm. 
And you go out for dinner with a bunch of professors afterwards, mm-hmm. and you all go to, because Italy, you know you're going to eat beautiful food. And you're going to have some wine, we're going to have right. some fun, and we did. Right. <laughs> and did. so do you ever think, oh, I can't have that wine, I can't have that pasta, because I'm going to get fat. I, and, I do. Yeah. Oh, you I do, check, and you're oh, careful? 100%. I have yeah. one drink, and that's it. I'm a one drink guy. They all want it. And I said, listen, I'm not an alcoholic. Uh, just this is what I do, because I'm working out. Right. I've had a little more pasta, and I weigh myself every morning like a nut. So I'm very regimented. That's interesting. Do you have the, the what's that little band that people, have, like a watch thing? There it is, whoop. What's it called? A whoop. whoop. I got it. Now, um, what does that do? What does it, it tell you? My phone's It's on your airplane. phone? So it's like but Yeah, a, but I can show you my workout that I did and I can show you how well I slept right here. Take a look. All Take right, a look so at I'm looking strain. at your phone and it says that you're, what is strain So mean? my strain for the day is what I did with my exercise or just the, amount of uh, stress that you're under. So you can see, you can go to my activity yeah. here today and you can see I did a high intensity workout and in, in lifted today. You see the exact time. My strain was 7.3. And then during that time, you can click into, well, I'm not on the network, but I give you your heart rate, your blood pressure, all these other things. And it looks how well it you gives sleep. gives you your blood pressure from that little thing on your wrist? Not exactly your blood pressure, but close enough. Right. And you see, yes, when I sleep, I only slept five hours. I needed nine, but that's my usual So you night. had 52% of what you needed. <laughs> it's usually that's all I need during see, the I week. See, if I had, if I, if I like, if I'm looking at a, an app and it says you only had 52% of it. Back to I, bed. I'm like, um, A, I'm going back to bed. Or, and, or if I don't, if I can't sleep, I'm going to walk around feeling ashamed all day. It's so funny. So so I'm in three groups of this, and and of course I've got a lot of the. Um, I have a place up at Silo Ridge, which is Discovery Land in upstate New York, and these right. are very wonderful people. So I've got some of the younger thirty-year-old men wearing the whoop, and we compare, and they're like, "Well, Surf's going to see my." Tra-. And I've had a wife come up to me and say, "Listen, you're killing my sex life. <laughs> you're killing how much fun I'm having." And she made the guy get rid of the whoop. Because you wouldn't be, drink. Because you don't sleep as well if you have just one drink. You well, really that don't. I know. Yeah. That yeah. I know. I Like, if I have one drink, yeah. I don't do anything so well. Yeah, correct. For a while. Correct. Um, it's an interest. Let me talk to you just a little bit. I mean, we're we're almost done, and I know you're a busy man, but because I'm fascinated by my own pathology, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about... <laughs> my my pathology's worse, so yeah, we're on the I same page. I don't know. Yeah, I but bet you do. I, as an alcoholic, right? As a recovering alcoholic, right. as an alcoholic in recovery or a sober alcoholic, or however you want to phrase it, very much believe in the theory that it's the first drink that gets you drunk. People like me. That yeah. if I take a drink... It kicks off in me something akin to an allergy, akin to like if I was allergic to strawberries or, you know, and it forces me into a say, it removes the resistance that I have to stay away from the next one and the next one and and all the consequences. I'm impressed on how well you understand yourself. It's, I, I haven't it's heard been too, a while. Well, I haven't heard too many alcoholics ever say that, like an allergy. And I think you're exactly right. It it does set off a cascade of events that you can no longer control. That's right. You're not driving. And, and the key is, yeah, you're not driving. There it is. And the key is not to get behind the, the wheel in the first place. Right. You just don't start. I mean, that's it was why actually, I'm a one drink guy. It was put across. But that's the thing. You can be a one drink guy. I have to be a. I think the difference between an alcoholic and a non-alcoholic is a non-alcoholic can be a one-drink guy. I have to yeah. be a no a no-drink. That's guy. probably right. It was put forward. To be fair, I think it was uh, Jellyneck in the 19th century came up with the idea of the allergy, or certainly William Silkworth. I was going to give it to you. What the no, hell? It's not me. It was, Take it was the a dog. It was Those a dog. guys are gone. We don't yeah. know who the hell they yeah, are. Silkworth. Silk. What was it? Silkworm. Silkworth. Never heard of Silkworth at, at the town's hospital <clears throat> in New York City in wow. the 1930s. You know it. He said, you know, 
he's looking at alcoholics, and he said to Bill Wilson, who eventually founded Alcoholics Anonymous, or co-founded that, it. That name I know. Yeah, and Bill uh, William Silkworth was work, working at Towns Hospital, and and he eventually... Incredible. Yeah, it's an incredible story, yeah, because yeah. what happens is that Bill Wilson is in there, right? And William Silkworth says to his wife, Lois, he says, yeah. look... His wife's know. name was Lewis? Lewis. Lewis. Okay, I just want to clear that Lewis, up. Lewis, look, that's not, it wouldn't matter if it was Lewis. Not that there's anything wrong <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But he says to Lewis, he says, look, I don't think there's anything I can do. I think he's just, we're going to have to put him in a straitjacket and keep him in here. Yeah. And Bill Wilson has a God shot. He has a, he has a profound experience. Epiphany. Right. Now, he thinks that it is maybe delirium tremens or mm -hmm, something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what Bill thinks. And he asks William Silkworth, and this is this conversation, this is why I love this, this doctor. Great. This it's an amazing great. conversation. Because yeah. he goes to the doctor. This is why William Silkworth was a genius. He goes to William Silkworth, who's been treating alcoholics, and he says, Am I mad? Yeah. Am I having is this delirium? Have I gone insane? Yeah. And William Silkworth said this. He said, I don't know but you're better than you were half an hour ago. So maybe whatever it yeah. is, yeah. keep doing that. Yeah. And good rather than to, saying, you're crazy. You're a good way to look at it. Yeah, <clears> it's like, that's the positive feedback of coaching, which is what, Something's yeah. working, yeah. you know. And I, I'm fascinated by that. I believe that you have that spirit. I believe you well, have that spirit. And I know you hate compliments. I see you yeah, squirm with it. Yeah, I see yeah. you squirm with it. It's baloney. You yeah, know, but you so know many what? incredible people that I work with every day. That I know, a... but fuck those guys. <laughs> I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're much better looking and smarter. Uh, stop okay. it. Stop yeah, it. Yeah. I, it's a joy to talk to you, man. Thank I'm you. so happy you're here. I, My and, honor. And uh, I continue to happiness, continue to success. And you. whatever you're doing, Jesus Christ, keep doing it. We're enjoying it, and my honor to spend time with you again. And uh, we'll let's do, we'll let's do, do it once a year. Let's do it once a year. Have dinner or something. Yeah, fun. that's what even better. I'm all in. All right, and I'll have the wine. You can't. You have the wine. You can have all the <laughs> wine, and I'll Just I'll have glass. and I'll have a lot of pasta, and then go for a big long walk. That's I love to walk after dinner. I agree. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth, no matter who you are, that mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. 
Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.